The 10th series of Love Island kicks off today. It's ITV's annual summer blockbuster, hoovering up the ratings and advertising revenue. And the broadcaster will be hoping that the sight of all that toned and tanned gorgeousness in the sun will distract from the station's very public woes over its breakfast show. Earlier this year, Irish Times hunk correspondent Patrick Frayne talked to Aideen Finnegan about the history of TV dating shows and what they say about us. Watching strangers try to find love is one of the most enduring reality TV show formats ever, but they seem to be getting madder and madder. So why do you want to choose a date naked? I love you to death, but I just cannot wait any longer. That is why I'm giving this ultimatum. I've met the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. I've never seen her before. There are conditions to your stay here. Bloody hell. No kissing or sex of any kind. TV producers have managed to take pretty much any concept and turn it into a way to find love. And we've seen they'll stop at nothing to find the next ratings winner. When I stood at the aisle, that will be the hardest part. I just hope she likes what she sees, basically. Lovely to meet you. Now it gives me great, great pleasure to declare that you are legally husband and wife. <laughs> Love them or hate them, they've been on our screens for almost 60 years. From the innocent days of Blind Date. You chose number two. That was Roberto, Count Roberto from Jersey. Come in, Roberto. To the cult of Love Island. Now that gives me fanny flutters. <laughs> it feels like there's a new one popping up every couple of months. While the environment is completely artificial, every now and again they do yield genuine connections. I mean, there was a Love Island baby born just last month. Is that what keeps us coming back for more? Or is there something else at play? I'm Aideen Finnegan and this is In The News from The Irish Times. Today, why are we obsessed with reality dating shows and do they actually work? Patrick Frayne is features writer with The Irish Times and... I think is probably a bit of an expert on reality TV. Is that fair to say, Patrick? Yeah, sort of. I mean, I wish I wasn't an expert <laughs> on reality TV. I'm slightly obsessed with it. Okay. Well, full disclosure, I am very cynical, right? So most of these shows, they make me roll my eyes so much I clean out the back of my head. But some of them are incredibly entertaining and endearing. And I'm thinking of, you know, Love is Blind, it's gas. Naked Attraction is just so mad. And what I think is the criminally underrated Passion Fashion, which was on TG Cahar in the noughties, where young fellas, usually students, would pick out an outfit for a girl and she'd have to pick the guy based on the outfit. She wouldn't have seen them up until then. But, you know, by the law of averages, some people are going to meet their future spouse on these shows because producers are going to have to make something that people want to watch and people want to find that out. So... There obviously is a formula for finding love that actually does work in this context. No. <laughs> no? There is. I think these are deeply weird, unnatural shows. So yeah. I don't think that what you're watching, if, if love comes out of it, it's an accidental byproduct or the, of the law of averages. Okay. Um, so I think... Uh, like you mentioned Passion Fashion there. I think that was an innocent pre-Love Island time. And it was, Love, yeah. Love Island has kind of changed the game a little bit and most of the others exist 
because of Love Island. Like most of the others, Love Island became so popular for ITV that the um, that everyone else just wanted to do a version of it. And some of them are like really close to what Love Island is with a slight tweak. Okay, well, let's start with Love Island since you mentioned that. It's proving such a hit with audiences. They're now running it twice a year yeah. in winter and in summer. They even have to go somewhere hot in winter so that we can watch them in bikinis. And we're currently a few weeks into the winter series. So what is the appeal of the show? Oh, here we go. I've got a text. So I think, and this is like, I'm not sure I'm the natural demographic for the violent. I think it's, and I, I've reviewed it as such, I think it's like a weird fantasy world. It's like Lord of the Rings or Teletubbies, um, where all these like strange beings live in an environment very different from our own. They live in a villa. They all sleep in the same room, like the Seven Dwarfs and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I woke up and he was awake as well. And then, I don't know, we had a little smile like... <laughs> they do nothing, apparently, except talk about each other's relationships. So you've got chats about chats about chats. Um, people saying, oh, did you hear what they just said? And then this happened. And, you've, and you're watching it going, I, as a TV reviewer, I'm watching it going, you're just telling me what I just saw a few minutes before. What? What's been, what's been said? Have you not, were you not there? Oh, fuck, I thought you already knew. Dami said to Jem, I reckon if a lad comes in, your head could still be turned. And Jem's gone, yeah, I would be. So I like one of the things that's really surprising is that for every moment of drama, there's about 30 minutes of boredom. It's like looking at animals in the zoo sometimes. Mm, yeah. And it, you know that what you've described there reminds me of the Geltacht, you know, and, <laughs> <laughs> well, the Gaeltacht, exactly. we had, at least we did like Kayleys and things in the Gaeltacht. True, true. But we sat around talking about relationships and who likes who and, you know, all the possible uh, permutations. And there would be a lot of couples swapping and recoupling going on. But does it yield genuine results? There have been some couples out of it, right? Um, Like, I, I think the problem is it's not remotely like anything real. So... A huge thing in it is you, you can see watching it that there are some, it wouldn't be watchable. It wouldn't work if there wasn't some genuine connections on it and there weren't real people being real. So for every sociopath that they've thrown into the mix in order to create <laughs> drama, there's always a few people who are genuinely sincere and warm and likable and you want them to find love and you watch it with that in mind. After watching them for several weeks, like it's like a lab experiment. You're, we're all watching from the outside, watching what's happening. Couples need privacy in the real world. You can't, I, and some of them say that when they leave, they go away to kind of connect properly because you're not connecting properly. When you're sharing a room with, what is it, 12 other people and millions of people are watching you. So I, I, I mean, I, I'd knock that on the head. I don't even, I don't even <laughs> think, like, and even if some of them work out, that's, that's just because sometimes relationships work out. It's not because any formula exists on these shows. Okay. That works. They are very, you know, it does take a lot of heat for being one type of person and not very diverse age-wise or ethnicity-wise oh, yeah. and all the rest of it. I mean, they're all gorgeous people in uh, their 20s. In I mean, which is the other problem with it as well, is there's... Yeah, they're of, too young. <laughs> they're too young. Now, I know there is plans to do a kind of romance retreat show with like older people. And things like First Dates is really sweet about having kind of a big spectrum of ages and types of people and and people who are not trying to get a big Instagram following afterwards. Um 
but there's loads of the shows now. Like, I, I mean, I've in the last few years, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with it. I joke that I'm the hunk correspondent in the Irish Times because <laughs> they, a lot of them have the same basic formula, which is a lot of incredibly good looking people mixed up in a kind of strange environment. Um, and then there's a kind of gaming element like you've got too hot to handle, ready to mingle, married at first sight, love is blind, too hot to handle. I'm kind of obsessed with because they are such unreal people. Hi, I'm Chloe. I'm 20 years old. I'm quite ditzy as well. So you've just got to be really patient with me because <laughs> I'm not the brightest spark um, in the book. Explain that show, Patrick, for people who haven't seen it. So Too Hot to Handle is a Netflix show where a bunch of gorgeous people are stuck on another island or an archipelago, some sort of lust archipelago, and they're all <laughs> thrown there um, on the pretense that they're in a different kind of show. And then they're told after they've all chatted and kind of seduced one another that actually they've got to go without sex for like a month. And any Irish person looking at that goes, I could do that easily. I, <laughs> I spent most of my teenage years and 20s going without sex. Um, so there's a kind of the unreality of it, I think, is part of the attraction. Like, I, I guess people watch it. I, I know that there are people you look at and go, oh, they're so sweet and they, they feel like my friend or I know them or whatever. But I think a lot of it is the unreality of it. There are conditions to your stay here. Bloody hell. No kissing or sex of any kind. <gasps> oh, shit. The unreality of it, absolutely. And actually, we we should come back to those sort of ethical quandaries as well. You mentioned there about the, they come on a show and they think they're coming on for something else. But... It is, it is interesting, these new formats that they come up with. It's like producers will stop at nothing to find new ways of helping people to fall in love. When did the genre begin? Um, sorry, even that premise that that's why they're doing it, <laughs> to like help people find in love. They're trying to help millionaires get ratings. <laughs> what they're doing. Yes, but we wouldn't watch it if, there, if it didn't, if there didn't yield the odd couple, you know? Yeah, I guess. I, I'm really sceptical on that point. It, it did start, you can go with the dating game in America in 1965. We have three gentlemen over there. I know you know that. And they are going to answer your questions as best they can. And it's up to you to figure out which one you like best, okay? Um, bachelor number three, what do you think of miniskirts? Of miniskirts? Uh-huh. Uh, I wouldn't want my girlfriend to wear one, but I like to see him when I'm in Hollywood. How about bachelor number one? The British version of that was kind of Blind Date with Scylla Black, which I I mean, I think we I loved when I was a kid and I thought it was so really did I. funny and sweet. And Scylla Black having a lot, a lot of fun. I can't even do a Scylla Black accent. Now, will it be love at first sight tonight? Let's find out as we meet three lads looking for a girl. Here they are. George from Aberdeen, Roberto from Jersey and Pat from Gateshead. Come in, the lads. I think in a weird way, that's almost more real and it's more like a quiz show. And the reason I think it's a bit more real is the reason I think First Dates is a bit more real is because you get some interaction of people meeting for the first time and then they go off and do their own thing. And whatever happens, happens. The, the weirdness of these other shows is the fact that we are surveying them like the Stasi and that that's, can't be healthy for us or for them. I'm getting a bit passionate about it now. It's the weird, sexy Stasi. The weird, sexy Stasi. <laughs> weird, sexy Stasi. We should pitch that to Netflix. But you're right, there was an innocence to that blind date pre-social media 
era, pre-influencer era, and Blind uh, Blind Date was the standout for me as well. There were a few couples who found love in that show, I'm pretty sure. There oh, were yeah. definitely relationships. Like there were, maybe if they didn't end up getting married. De- definitely people will find themselves in all sorts of ways. I'm just not, I mean, I, I just don't think that's why those shows exist. And I don't really think that's why they're watched. Like, I think the strange thing when you look at the discourse, the discourse, when you look at the discussions on Twitter about Love Island, you get this really strange mixture of people treating it like it's, so there's that parasocial relationship thing, like they're kind of their friends or neighbours and they're discussing them like they're um, people they know. And then this other strange thing where they're discussing them like they're fictional characters. And like both feel a bit weird to me and both feel a little bit wrong. And you get this weird thing on the show sometimes where I, sometimes I'm going, why are they talking? Like there's all this jargon that goes with it, like the coupling and the uncoupling and eggs in one basket and mugging off. <laughs> and then sometimes I go with my, when I've watched it too much, I go, Maybe this is like Jane Austen. Maybe this is just a modern version of um, this is what people do instead of reading Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, well, there is. It's interesting you mentioned Jane Austen there because there is a sort of lot of reinforcing of gender norms. And Jane Austen was a big commentary and all of that. But before we come to (laughs) try and intellectualise it too much, I want to get through a few more. There's the literally, literally balls out entertainment value show of Naked Attraction, where people... Somebody comes on and yeah. picks someone based on their body parts and we have five podiums where we get to reveal a little bit of their body at a time. All right. Can we please reveal <laughs> <laughs> the bottom half of the bodies? Like it's it's actually it's just I don't even know where to start with it, but that's probably more successful at finding a compatible sexual partner than love. There's an honesty to it and also in a way, that's the most like blind date. Like it's more like a quiz show format in a way. People choose from a lineup of people based on revealing their body parts slowly. And after the kind of the sensationalism and shock goes away, it's hilarious in the way that when that started first, there was like loads of what the hell is this? And an outpouring of people getting really annoyed by it. And, you know, several years later, people are just like, yeah, it's just penises, you know, and, and it, it's not in a way it's not as exploitative as some of the other shows. Like if we become a more sex positive society, that's all grand, you know. Well, nice, Willie. A nice form, you know, nice shape. That's a very large appendage. Yeah, you think so? Do you not think so? It's pretty big. Is that? Yeah, it does. It shows different bodies, not just one type, right? Totally, totally. And it's not, they're all very different kinds of people. And in a way, I think it's healthy and it normalizes real bodies as opposed to, like, you do watch Love Island and you sometimes go, how do these people have time to do anything? Like, some of the guys are so sculpted that they have to be spending most of their life staying in that shape. And this is not the bitterness of middle age talk. This is just, <laughs> I'm going, do they have hobbies? Coming up, when it comes to dating show ethics, where do producers draw the line? Okay, so let's talk about the contestants that go on these shows in search of love or fame. I guess they're definitely going to meet someone as outgoing as themselves anyway, right? Or at least as brave, you know, when it comes to shows like Naked Attraction. Definitely everyone who goes on these shows is a certain kind of person and a certain kind of extrovert. So 
there, I'd worry about kind of normalization of certain kinds of behavior. Not that it's wrong behavior, just that to suggest to people that everyone should be like this is always a bit problematic. But like some of the ways people interact on Love Island or Love is Blind, there's a, it's, they're hugely old fashioned in ways that aren't instantly obvious. Like it's very heteronormative. Most of these shows, not all of them. First Dates is great about kind of representing different kinds of people. Um, but like most of these shows are all about very, very heterosexual people. Um, like I've joked in the column that this, the reason there are so many of them is there's a huge crisis of heterosexuality going on because people, I think there's something to do with how much choice people actually have now, which is brilliant. People can meet each other way easier because of dating apps. You have, there's way less sexual shame, which is brilliant. You can be in all sorts of different kinds of relationships. And I think a lot of the conservative nature of some of these shows is this weird response to that. It's like people getting freaked out about the fact they have freedom and wanting to see something with limitations and really strict rules. Like, I don't think those shows are an answer to those problems. I think the answer to those problems are that we should all go to psychotherapy and have open (laughs) conversations with one another. Big time. There's the incredibly earnest, pure boy meets girl or older man meets older lady format in first dates that you mentioned. And I think that works because of that authenticity that you're talking about. Retired teacher Olive hasn't been on a date since losing her husband 10 years ago. It would be lovely to to be in love. Now, I don't know if it happens when you're as old as I am. And actually, loads of shows are brilliant at the start as well. Like, I think First Dates is still pretty pure. Like, I quite like the fact that they're not, they're not people who want to be famous. They're not always hugely extroverted. They all have really normal jobs. They are all different ages and they're different sexual preferences as well. It's not just a bunch of straight people on an island. And... I think one of the problems with all formats is once the format gets established, people start playing up to the format. And what's kind of nice and pure in the earlier versions of these shows, it's like it was the same with Big Brother. The first series of Big Brother was genuinely like a TV experiment. And then suddenly you get every single mad wannabe famous person in Britain wanting to be on it. But yeah, like I still think First States has a kind of certain purity to it. But even First States, after a while, you can see some people going on there and playing up to what they know the format to be and what they know works in the format. And actually, not to, to make a highfalutin point for a minute, uh, for hundreds of years, people played up to the really restrictive format of marriage that isn't for everybody. And these shows are kind of a new version of like, abide by our format. So you get this bizarre thing on shows like Love is Blind or Married at First Sight or um, indeed Blind Dates, where a couple who clearly don't like each other are pretending to to stay on the show. They, they, it's the version of staying together for the children. It's staying together for the reality television <laughs> show, which basically means that it's like so much of it is a farce. There's always a lovely couple in there that feel very real and feel more normal. And I think if they weren't there, we wouldn't be watching it. But there's all these people around the edges who are not all of them. Like, I'll be fair, like most of them are OK people or nice people. But there's some people around the edges who are clearly playing the game. And there are some of the nice people who are clearly playing the game. I'm getting a bit more passionate about this than I should. <laughs> I, it's interesting as well because First Dates is in England and it's in Ireland. Yeah. And I think actually where a programme is made 
it's it's crucial to the success of the show. So, for instance, Love is Blind. I watched it for this because I knew I was going to talk to you, Patrick, and you were an expert in this field. I haven't seen it before, but I actually think it's gas because it's American and over and over again in the first episode I watched was, I want a lot of kids. I want 10 kids. Yeah. you and, know, like, and they're very, and they're also young, and they want, they're also quite young, and they want to settle down. Like, I think Love Is Blind is the w- really conservative in its nature, and the people who go on it, like, even that being your end goal, like, marriage is a brilliant thing, but the idea that marriage solves all your problems is a kind of romantic myth that is perpetuated in these shows. I mean, Love Is Blind, like, Love Is Blind is kind of. I joked in one of my columns that it was kind of like the founders of Gilead had made a TV show because they're all in little, they're separated, the men and the woman, and then they go into, it's like sci-fi thing, they go into these pods where they have conversations with a man or woman they can't see on the other side of the glass. Hello. Hello. I'm Lauren. I'm Cameron. Where are you from, Cameron? I'm from the state of Maine. I don't think I've met anyone from Maine before. I'm the only one you'll ever need to meet. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> and those conversations are all about, um, like, I'm kind of looking at it going a lot of the time, you're 25. Why are you planning your four kids and where you're going to live in like 10, 15 years time? And maybe that's like, again, that reaction to the insecurity the choice gives people. Yeah, and my, my response every time in my head is when the guy says that, that the woman goes, are you going to leave me at home to mind all 10 of them? Or how involved are you going to be in this parenting? And they, they never ask that. They never ask that. They never ask the questions that uh, us more bruised and seasoned people <laughs> would be asking. Yeah. OK, let's talk about the ethics. Actually, the one thing that jumps out before we get into the, the prize money and the yeah. gamification is just... Are people exploited going on these shows, you know, and uh, one that jumps out to mind is Channel 4's The Undateables, which is a ratings winner. But I guess like sometimes I think it's really good to show that there are people who aren't these beautiful blonde Adonises. And I guess um, but sometimes, you know, you are talking about people with an intellectual disability on a show like The Undateables and you wonder, are subjects being exploited in some way? Like, this is a question for, like, journalism in general. Like, there's a huge, any sort of documentary, any sort of reporting involves talking to people who are not used to being in the media spotlight. So they always have to be really careful about those things. Um, I haven't watched enough of The Undatables to judge, but what I have watched is I feel it's a bit like First Date in that I feel like they're being minded. I'm really pleased. I, I, I didn't expect that, really. Do you think you'd like to have him as your boyfriend? I would. I, I would like to have a boyfriend one day. And you'd like it to be Shane? Yeah. I think there have been a lot of issues around Love Island over the years around, I think like Women's Aid have come out, they came out in the last series to point out that, you know, some of the men were engaged in gaslighting behaviour and and kind of, emotionally abusive, manipulative behaviour. And again, this goes back into um, reinforcing certain norms. I feel like Love Island also reinforces this kind of old-fashioned idea of, you know, it's a slightly modern version of it, but of kind of men as pursuers and and, and women as kind of passive objects. Not that it's always like that. Um, Or that women want to trap a man. Yeah, that's it. Like women are trying to get them in their clutches and they're trying to wriggle out of it. Like there's a lot of things in that show where I feel like 
there's a heightening of this gender binary that isn't like I think that's part of the appeal to is it's it's a bit old fashioned and people um, in real life, people are a lot more complicated. And in that show, I think to some degree, people are playing parts and they reinforce one another in that kind of behavior. I mean, they're on the ethics of it. There's ethics about all these things. And there's always a line that's kind of carefully drawn. Like sometimes I watch these shows and I see somebody crying over how they were treated and I feel very uncomfortable that we're watching all that for. It's one thing to see somebody crying in the context of something that's really important and mo- not that love isn't important, but something that's really kind of moving and newsworthy and they're t- and, and it's an important message. It's another thing where somebody in a completely set up in situation um, has had a fight with someone and is really upset and we're all watching it. There's a whole nexus of ethical things to grapple with there. I don't think there's a clean answer to it, but I'm certain that these shows aren't always putting in the kind of due care. Like there's a pretense sometimes, like Love is Blind has it, that this is a noble scientific experiment. And there's a discussion and and you're like, it's not a noble scientific (laughs) experiment. It's a ratings grab. Yeah, like I got slated for slagging off Love Island because I just I hate the artifice and I hate the gaming, the gamification and like, you know, the the enforcing of gender norms and all that kind of stuff really bothers me. But I got slated being basically like you're living in a bubble and this is real life. This is this is holding a mirror up to society. Is it? Well, (laughs) I'm going to caveat this by saying I am not a young person, so I have no idea. Um, I'm not sure how real it is. I also think nobody should be slated for saying they like or dislike a show. Part of the joy of TV and books and films is that we can disagree and you can have a chat in the pub about it and go, I hate Love Island and someone else can try and convince you why you should love it. Um but I don't, I don't really, buy. I think there is reality in it. Like, I think, like, I, I kind of keep coming back to if there wasn't some real genuine people and some real connections, it would be unwatchable. It would just be a bunch of game playing, good looking people in a weird location. So the reason people come back is because like, you know, like last in the last season, Ekansu was just genuinely quite funny and engaging. You know, so people come back and they go, there's something real and interesting in that person. And and but the whole context of it, I don't believe that's real. I don't believe like some people say, oh, <laughs> oh, you old man, old man Frayne, you don't know what dating apps are like. And yes, that's true. But this show is I like I was saying earlier, I don't think is what dating apps are like either. Like this is like a weird reaction to that. You know, it's like, let's limit the selection. Let's put a load of people on an island. So, yeah, I'm on your side. <laughs> OK, well, to end on a more positive note, I guess, what's your favourite of all the shows you've ever seen? Um, there's two different things and which is, and there's my favorite, like, I really like writing about these shows because I find them quite funny in some ways. But in terms of one, like, I think First Dates, Blind Date is my favorite, but of the contemporary crop, I think First Dates, there's um, something sweet and genuine in there that is much more compelling to me. I like the array of people you get in First Dates. And I think that's important. I think one of the problematic things about a lot of the other shows is that it's such a limited selection of types of people. Patrick Frayne, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. 
That's all for today. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan. If you want to read more from the self-described hunk correspondent Patrick Frayne, including his features and excellent TV reviews, you can find them at irishtimes.com. 